Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we shed light and bring truth to emerging topics in the communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Sam Fidel, Florida Chapter President of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. It's so great to have you join us today, Sam. Welcome. Great to be here. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. So before we get started, I'm going to have to take some time to cover your background and experience. I don't know that I've ever met someone quite like you, so it's quite fascinating. Sam's prior life uh, was law enforcement, and throughout the 25-year career, you've worked in like many areas of robbery, homicide, fire arson, auto theft, burglary, financial crimes, insurance fraud, internal affairs, special projects, just a lot of different experience that that brought to you. And you've moved over into the external investigations uh, manager role, which is really focused on the credit card, bank, loan fraud, um, definitely covers cyber crimes, which includes data breaches, transnational cases, reshippers, um, and, and really focused around identity vulnerabilities. Um, and you help prepare cases for law enforcement, present training, on many areas of financial fraud topics in various groups. So Sam, with, with that incredible background, which honestly includes a lifetime of achievements already, today's topic on fraud investigations and the power of KYC makes sense why you are here. And I'm excited, really excited about today's topic because you represent so much wisdom and experience in the value of KYC on the voice service provider side where this is really a new concept. And I have many conversations with voice service providers on why they need a good KYC framework, but there's a lot of optimism in the value it brings to their business. And sadly, I think voice service providers are sitting in the position of they don't know what they don't know when it comes to KYC and the role it plays in combating fraud to them it looks like a futile effort forced upon them. So back to you, Sam, and why you are today's guest. KYC has been in place for years to combat fraudulent activities in other industries. So the value of KYC is already well known in the financial industry and has been in place for really many years. From your years of experience, please share your perspective on what KYC means to the financial industry and the critical role it plays in combating fraud. Thanks, Rebecca, for the big introduction there. Now, I forgot what I was going to say. I was listening to you. Thank you so much. KYC is, is, is crucial for both industries. The telecom industry needs it. Uh, the backers call in and steal your phone number, basically, the porting, the SIM swapping, the social engineering. And I think some of the bigger companies are starting to deploy some uh, programs to combat that, whether it's two-factor authentication, one-time password, or account passwords, they're trying to deal with it, but they're very, it's very, it's a slow road that they're taking, I feel. On the financial side, KYC is crucial at every level, not only from um, the new accounts where a customer signs into a, an account, account center, creates an account, and part of the data points they provide is the, is the phone number. The phone number plays a crucial role in identifying, is that really Rebecca Johnson applying for an account, or is that somebody else? And today's life, and you have to imagine, I mean, studies have shown that folks realize they lost their phone way before they realized they misplaced their wallet or handbag. You, you see everybody with their phone in their hand. You don't see their wallet in their hand or their 
oftentimes not even a not even a handbag. It's just a phone. So our life centers around that, and institutions know that. That's how they verify your identity through text messaging, through phone calls, through emails, and then they capture that data. It's significant to authenticate the person. So KYC is is, is crucial in, in so many aspects, and when you throw in the the phone part of it, it's even more so if you know how to use it, if you know how to deploy that. So the benefits behind it is the phone number attached to this new application tied to, uh, is it a VoIP tied to an IP somewhere else in the world and they're claiming to live in, in New York City but the IP comes back to a different country known for fraud. Uh, why is this happening? Is the person traveling perhaps? You have the anomaly sometimes but usually it's, it's done outright fraud if you can see it. So for existing customers it's also crucial. Customers call in on a regular basis. They, they, they call in to approve wires, to ask for wires, money transfers, uh, make account changes. They call into the center to perhaps change the phone number. Why is that so important? Well, if it's a bad actor doing it, when the bank calls you, they can't get a hold of you anymore. They're going to be directed to the bad actor's phone or email for, for that matter. And with technology, I mean, the banks have really amped up their game in identifying the devices. You know, the, is, is this really your phone that you own calling us? I mean, using the Internet to contact us. They, they pick up the device ID. They pick up um, your HTML files, your cookies, so to speak. Uh, they, they drop them there before they know it's really you uh, checking in on your account. But the phone line is not. It's not as simple. I mean, it's not as uh, less opportunities at the front, in the beginning of it. So it plays a big role in an authenticating customer because the bad guys know it. They use the phone instead. It's easier than using the, uh, the computer systems. So it's interesting when, when I parallel what KYC has meant in the financial industry for as long as, as, as it's been used. And this is a global uh, framework. This is not just the United States based. This is globally how do we combat fraud in just the ways that you described and it always comes back to, at the end of the day, you have to know who your customer is uh, so that we understand it's not someone posing to be in a bad actor. And in the you know, telecom space for service providers, they're kind of facing the same uh, challenge of we really haven't done a know your customer. We're willing to just take, you know, some uh, providers just take a credit card and that's enough knowing uh, of the customer, does the credit card process or not. Um, and then they just give access to these networks to be able to deliver calls. And unfortunately, no doubt, Sam, that that process is where some of the beginning places are for these calls that are going into the financial institutions for them to be able to spoof a customer's number, present it as though it's the customer, which kind of breaks down the processes internally that the financial institutions have in order to do a verification before they start to disclose information or make changes on the account. So I can imagine that there are massive ramifications of not having a KYC process in place. Uh, so, you know, what have you seen happen, specifically in the financial industry, when know your customer just isn't a focus? I've seen banks get penalized by the Fed because uh, we talk about KYC. The biggest part of that is the AML, the anti-money laundering aspect of it, the counterterrorism, the Patriot Act, the uh, various, various um compliance issues that banks face for not knowing their customers. Is this person allowed to have an account? Are they on an OFAC list? That's just the beginning of it. it there's so many. That happens in the front end when the, when the account first opens up and through continuous monitoring after the account's opened. 
So suppose I snuck in and opened up an account of your name, and I was able to successfully complete that opening part, and now I have the account. How am I moving the money around? Oftentimes, the verification process involves the phone line. Either the bad actor calls in uh, before or during a transaction to, to make sure it goes through. They call in, let's say, for a travel order. They're traveling. In reality, they already stole your account, and they're traveling to um, out of the region, so they know you live in location A, then location B. I've had many cases where the bad actors call in, Hi, I'm Rebecca, I'm traveling this week, so please don't, don't, impact, don't, don't stop my authorizations. Then it's followed by fraud. So when they look at the account, oh yeah, Rebecca called in and she passed the verification and uh, we're not going to bother with this transaction anymore. I had one case actually happened near my house. It was kind of sad. Uh, the person went out to have dinner and then uh, he went back again a month later. Well, by that time, the first transaction was charged back. So the restaurant knew who the guy was, this unique looking fellow. Then they, they grabbed him, called the police, and they got the phone number. When I looked into it, I realized this isn't a one-off. They called in before, like a travel type request, and then it blew up into several thousand accounts traveling the whole southeast. So it's important when you get that phone call, bump up that phone number to identify the caller. It might be somebody with your PII, but the number tied to some other ring. Is it tied to 20 other calls where the accounts all went fraud? So KYC is at many level. I mean, at onset, any person will tell you, oh, it's the regulations. Well, I think it's more than that. It's also fraud because these folks are using these devices to beat the system on a regular basis. I think the, the phone channel is a weakest link to the banks. And the more information the banks have on that phone call, besides what comes out of their mouth, the caller's mouth, like the device, the number, where it's coming from, the more better suited they are to have a better robust program on, with, with the KYC program. Yes, yeah, and we're always talking about stir shaken, putting trust back into the framework for consumers. And until I had a conversation with you about these topics, I didn't understand, nor did I appreciate the value that a verification program before calls get on a network would mean to the financial institutions just to protect consumers from fraud that may not have come through the traditional, you know, um, it's a, a warranty, car warranty phone call. We're so tunnel visioned on that's the only place that we're going to get value. And what you've opened up is this is a huge effort that will bring value on the financial industry side who's been combating this kind of on your own. You're over here siloed. And if you could just get additional information through the voice channel at the time when a consumer or someone who's calling connects with an agent, we equip them with more information and that we can have some trust that the entity calling in cannot spoof the number illegally. You should be able to have that. That will go a long way in helping reduce fraud at a much greater scale than that's not even probably being tracked uh, at the FCC side because that's not necessarily the consumer, although the consumer is a victim in this case, but it's fraud in the financial space. And I think we're going to start to see some really, really, really upset bad actors. And I'm already seeing it. I had a conversation uh, with a service provider the other day who is trying to implement their KYC. And they're already getting customers who are, no, I'm not sharing information with you. I shouldn't have to share information with you. Transparency is being blocked. And of course, if these bad actors are leveraging a particular service provider to get their traffic onto the network to come after the, the financial institutions like the ones that you represent, they're going to be really mad that they have to identify who they are and that gets in the hands of Mr. Sam Fidel. 
Because then you're going to have well, a lot of other information for Trey's bag, right? Well, you are. You know, when you mentioned spoofing, uh, spoofing is one of the many one of the one of the one of the ways of beating the system. You have SIM swapping. You have uh, the porting. Porting was a problem for a while. We had some carriers that didn't perhaps pay enough attention to the porting issue, and the SIM swapping. I, I noticed when I go into a phone store, they ask me for more information for ID. And they ask for, uh, they don't simply pick your driver's license. They scan the barcode to make sure it's consistent with your account, things like that. But a spoofing case, I'll give an example of how serious this matter is. So, you know, that DMV comes in and a lot of the stores don't accept the Max Stripe anymore. It has to be the fallback. You have to dip your card three times before you swipe. And then it becomes more of a suspicious transaction because now the liability may, may be at the merchant level, may be at the issuer level. We don't know yet. It depends on the transaction, the contracts. But... It's suspicious. So what do you do? You go to a place that has match stripe. Who has match stripe? Fuel pumps, ATMs, the older ATMs, the ones located in the, in the stores. So I had a case involving somebody calling in and changing, simply getting a debit card reset, pin reset. That's it. That's all they did. Not, not, a, not a terrible thing to do. I forgot it. My wife did it. I can't remember it. And they were really good social engineers. They can call in and sweet talk. Well, I knew what they were doing. We were filming video. We had pictures of them. We knew who they were. I mean, their faces and trying to get a name. We got one guy. He had an app that he was using to call in, posing as the card member's phone number. So that when we received the call, the spoof showed the card member's phone number. But yet, they were successfully able to get a new PIN. And using the counterfeit with the track data, they were able to go into ATMs and, 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 and train it. They would stand there for quite a period of time, card after card, account after account. His app was based on the specific islands. There was an app on his phone who was arrested. Unfortunately, it, I don't know why, why, but it had 185 number uh, capacity, memory capacity. So when I asked the detective to take it to the Secret Service Task Force, the, the Electronic Crimes Task Force, to analyze the phone, sure enough, we got a search warrant, did that. 185 phone calls he made to the same issuer. Every phone number posing as the caller belong to a legitimate customer who was compromised. So that's a common, that does happen. I mean, we think that EMV is there, it's going to be harder. But hey, if I can't get any, if I can't duplicate it, I'm going to get one my own. So doing that really happens in these companies, are allowed to happen. How can a spoofing app allow that many calls back to back to financial institutions? And this is where I, I don't think that the analytics that we've deployed are going to identify these, while they may be somewhat small, uh, attacks, they are big with regards to the impact that they have on consumers. And uh, analytics is a great thing to have. We, we cannot uh, be without them. But it's just so focused. Everything seems so focused on the impact directly to the consumer that comes via from bad actor to consumer's device. And here's a, yet another example. I guarantee you the analytics did not catch that. We're not identifying the truly bad uh, actors through that method, and they're going to continue to exploit that as much as possible while the analytics gets better and better successful at the, you know, consumer side of it. Um, so I, I just, this is why, you know, I'm just reiterating the value of the know your customer. It ends up being a gate that the bad actor has to get through. And we'll identify those whose gates are lifted up and they let anybody through versus those who require a bunch of steps to go through. So I want to just step back uh, for a moment and start with where the requirement for KYC derives. So KYC, for those who may not know, it's know your customer. And it is a framework. It is not a policy. 
It is not a one-time process, which you've heard Sam mention it several times already, but it is a living framework composed of various customer due diligence obligations under regulations such as the ones that you mentioned, the anti-money laundering, uh, counterfinancing of terrorism. Uh, it's also related to regulations associated with tax and conduct of business, such as common reporting standard. So it, it derives from these regulations. And I actually leveraged those regulations in the years of implementation, enforcement, and monitoring experience that they've had to set a course for KYC as it related to the robocall issue. So in preparation for our conversation today, I actually found my deck where I presented this concept to the major tier carriers as one of the missing elements required for trust in the network. And it's hard to believe that that was back in January of 2018 when I made this kind of crazy bold step to frame a possible future to combat fraud at the origination of calls through the adoption of KYC. So fast forward three plus years, and KYC is a part of the FCC best practices, the standards, and the solutions. So before we jump into the topic of KYC to combat fraud as it relates to Surshake and for voice service providers, there's no way I can skip past some of the fascinating and almost unbelievable stories that you've already shared, but I, I find one of these other ones quite fascinating, I think, as a consumer, and for those listening, we need to be aware of these uh, type of frauds that may occur where we are unknowingly participants in fraud. So Sam, I would, I would love for you to share kind of the three-way um, uh, attack that's done. I, I had no idea that this type of fraud was happening. Well, the three-way attack is a, is a, is a trend that's it's not going away. So the, the banks are trying, financial institutions includes everybody who deals with your money, the fintech companies, the uh, the banks, credit unions, they're trying to come back, combat the fraudsters so they know they have your phone number. Then Rebecca's number is one two three four five six seven eight nine ten, and they receive uh, login credentials, for example, that don't quite match, or they do match, but the device isn't recognized. So they send you a one-time passcode. Hey, Rebecca, we know it's you, but ask us where. Well, meanwhile, I know it's you because I'm the bad actor. I'm calling you on the phone. Hey, Rebecca, I'm with your bank, and I noticed some unusual activity on your account, and I gain your trust. Once I gain your trust, I simply click on the uh, one-time passcode to your cell phone. To make sure I'm speaking with you, Ms. Johnson, please provide me the number I just texted you on your phone. You give me the code, bleep, your phone bleeps, I get the number, I type it in, I'm in your account. You have no idea, you just help me get into your account. The problem is a third, a bad actor called you, not the bank. And the bad actor may have spoofed the number so it shows your bank's name on there. How do they get that? Well, the dark web and the open web, unfortunately, and how social media gives out, people give out their information. And you have bad actors actually data mine that. What does that mean? They compile the data on you from different sources. So they have an idea where you bank, where you work, maybe your account numbers because they've gone up in the dark web and they built it from there. I've done presentations of the service before. We actually do that. We'll buy your credit card number. And we know you live in this zip code. So we'll run your name in that zip code through a database, identify you, get your social, get your address, get your phone number, get your email. Now I have your track data. I have all, those, all that information. I do a credit bureau on you through a third party that has a weak verification process. And then now I have your credit, now I have your bank. So I'll call you posing as your bank, Tuesday Talks Bank. And you know you bank there. So it must be them because it shows up on your caller ID because I spoofed the number. Then when you give me that passcode, I'm in your bank. I'm in your account. 
and I can conduct transactions. Oh, your account was used at, uh, did you go to Macy's today? No, I did not. Well, I have to close your account. Well, now you know, and I can expect any traffic from your bank because your account's closed. So then they'll take over your account that way. This was happening quite a bit, and they'd send money out. They can make purchases. It doesn't stop. And then I think it's verifying these calls, authenticating the calls that are, that are being made is crucial. Whether it's a robocaller calling enough for insurance for your car, but to offer you interest rates on your account, a better interest rate. That's a scam that I've worked many years. Identified many groups doing it. And the sad part is they target the same people because they have a list of these same victims that fall for it. That's why FTC tells you don't acknowledge those calls from the car insurance or, or the, ro- the robocalls because they know it's a real number. They're going to keep calling you. Well, it's a few steps more than that. They know that this person is vulnerable to it, so they're going to sell that information. We have gang members in South Florida killing each other for those lists. For those lists, they know, who, they know who's a vulnerable victim, who's a vulnerable target. So that authentication piece is so important, and the phone companies would, would, would do something about it to respect that, to, to realize that they're the backbone for the financial industry. That's how we contact our customers. And if they secure that, we could better secure our accounts. And it's not the banks losing the money at the end of the day. It's going to be the customers. Everything gets pushed down to the customers. Sam, I appreciate you giving that sentiment because um, a lot of times I'm just preaching it and nobody wants to hear from me after a while. So um, that's why I've got, got people like you uh, to come and, and speak to it. And it's, it's heartbreaking. And I already know this is going to happen. And I hate that I'm going to be right about this. Um, most things I actually don't want to be right about, but this one I know I'm going to be right about. We've got service providers. It's a business, right? They don't want to shut down their traffic. And they're going to sell A-level attestations. And that's, you know, uh, Sam, you and I kind of talked about, you know, uh, the the verify the green check mark that shows up is the result of stir shaken. It's pulling in data and the carrier percent verified. We've chosen as an industry to use the word verified. So guess what, Sam? We've either built an incredible infrastructure for more nefarious activity or we're actually shutting them down. And I'm afraid we're going to go through a cycle of actually creating a better nefarious environment for these bad actors to be able to exploit uh, consumers because I've already gotten it. You just said it, the uh, pre-approved. I got a pre-approved call yesterday. Uh, My name is on a ridiculous amount of lists. I got pre-approved and it showed up verified. Got the green check mark. I answered the call regrettably, you know, after I answered it. And I thought, here we are. We're, we're, we're literally creating an environment where bad actors, because service providers are not going to do best practices, we're pretty weak. We're very weak right now in the United States on what we expect of service providers. But right now it's a best practice. So the best practice is know your customer. You define what it is. If it's just a contract, fine, it's just a contract. And you allow the traffic to go through. You sign a level attestation that you know who they are and that they're authorized to use the number. Gets presented on the consumer's device. It's going to be data that goes into your uh, clients' uh, call centers, and they're supposed to trust that data. And I have a lot of concerns that because we've got some that are just I'm um, just meeting a compliance requirement, checking it off. I did it. They don't understand what their role is and why they are doing what they're doing and being asked to do so. So uh, I really appreciate you bringing that. I agree. You, you just want to stand on my soapbox and say, yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree because I see, I see the, uh, the, 
the results of that yeah. behavior. So it's a business decision that they're making, I'm pretty sure. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balance issue, right? How much do they want to spend for that? It's not a money-making issue for them. It's the money. It's not a revenue. It's, it's, it goes against it, but it goes, it's the right thing to do, yeah. though. So with the stir shaken and the ability to attach, you know, we're going to, let's assume we're all doing it right. Everybody's on board to have a robust know your customer process. Nobody's getting an A-level attestation until I know who the entity is behind the calls and your authorization to use a number. So I'm going to believe we live in that world and it's wonderful. It's going great. Um, and it's going to make really identifying the origination of calls a lot easier. Um, so that also means that we're able to, you know, know who we have to hold accountable, right? If it ends up being um, something that's harmful to the consumer, let's say we conclude, you know, with that. So do you feel the additional traceback elements now made available via Stir Shaken will improve the ability to trace and prosecute bad actors? Since you've been in that world of identifying the bad guy, but then putting all those cases together to figure out how do we make sure that they don't do this again. I'd love your feedback on that. Absolutely, because now it's 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 a long road to China, let's say, to get that information, especially if it's a VoIP going through different networks. So when I speak with investigators, and I've taught classes on this, and that one of the persons I partnered with does a class exactly on that. So when you run a when you run a phone number, we call them Annie's in the in the, in the financial world, and it comes back to a service provider, like to a internet company, ISP. You have to. It takes a lot of effort to get send out subpoenas and to get them back. By the time we get to it, it could be 30, 45 days, 60 days, 90 days. It's a long time because it's not one person. One bounces off the other. So by the time we trace that call, it takes forever. I think this program makes it a lot faster and doesn't require the subpoenas that will take you a, a long, long period of time. The longer it takes, the more time the bad actors have to to uh, commit crimes, to victimize people. So it's going to be a, definitely a, a big plus if if the information is pushed out to our law enforcement partners and how to take advantage of this program. Okay. All right. So here we go at the end. I'm going to give you the opportunity to give us three key takeaways for this audience, Sam. Take it away. Well, KYC is one of the strongest forms of combating fraud in the financial industry. It, it combats fraud in many ways, like I mentioned, either in the beginning when the account is being opened through the life cycle of the, uh, of the account through transactions and transaction monitoring, it's huge. Banks benefit by, by complying with the government, being able to keep their business open, because I've seen banks being shut down or uh, prevented from opening up new lines of business until they fully comply. We can take the same principles learned in our successful investigations in combating fraud in the financial industry and apply those to the emerging challenges of the voice and messaging networks. It's the same way we've done, this works, right? This this response we have to KYC, for the most part, I'd say works pretty well in the financial industry. Why don't we apply that to the uh, to the voice messaging networks? And again, KYC isn't a one-time initiative. It's it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing with risk management, the threat mitigation strategies. And as the bad actors evolve and change their tactics, technology has to evolve and meet them. So it's like a cat and mouse sort of a thing. Uh, in the past, we get a letter in email from Nigeria, from anywhere in the world. Now you get an email or a text message. So it's evolving. It's a constant challenge because these folks are, you know, we make a living working hard every day. So do they, but unfortunately, it's in criminal nature. All right. Thank you, Sam. And, I, and I'm going to wrap that all up as that uh, simply stated, and you've said this, cru it is crucial in complying and staying out of trouble with the feds. 
yourself. So <laughs> listen up. So, all right. Thank you, Sam, for that summary. Let's move to questions from the audience with the couple minutes that we have left. So Molly. All righty. Thanks, Rebecca. So let's start with this one that came in through the chat window. How is a call displayed as verified if the number that was verified is spoofed? So I'm going to take that one because I was a little bit more on the standard side. Um, we have to look at uh, you know, our, what we expect is the green check mark will be the result of A-level attestation. I'm going to try to keep this in simple terms here. So A-level attestation means that the service provider who is attaching their identity along with the customer's information to the call has attested to knowing who the entity is behind the number and they are authorized to use that telephone number. Spoofing in and of itself is not illegal. This is a very common practice. Um, it creates efficiencies, uh, not only for the call originator, but also for consumers, such as a pharmacy. Uh, the number that you're presented needs to be the number that you can call back to uh, regarding your prescription and talk to your pharmacist. So it's going to be on the service provider to make sure that the number that they are um, spoofing is also a number they're authorized to use. They should have evidence of that. Thanks, Rebecca. We got one more here. I think we can sneak in. Uh, what advice would you give to contact center leaders within the financial industry for training their guests or training their agents, excuse me, to monitor for incoming fraud attempts into the call center? I think it was more up my alley. There, yes, Rebecca. it is. Do you agree? <laughs> we can write a book on this. There's actually manuals about yay thick and what to look for. But unfortunately, because of our biggest enemy in this case is like JD Parn Associates. It's, it doesn't, it's not looked at as much because customer service is king. Connectivity issues. I've heard countless calls where the bad actors are playing with their phone. If you have canned responses from the from the callers, it's uh, they're trying the same thing at work. They keep trying to run over again. What does that mean? I had a house fire. I'm not home. I can't read my phone. I cracked my screen. If you can make a call, you can read your phone. Uh, I'm trying to send you a one-time password, but they don't have that. They're calling in. You hear? I've had cases where people there's there's paper shuffling when you're asking questions. What's your mother's maiden name? They're shuffling paper. Have you owned this car before? They're shuffling paper. Really? I had one call that I think I mentioned to Rebecca before. The caller called in as a female, as a middle-aged female. Three minutes into the call, he changed his voice to a man's voice, and all of a sudden, and the, the caller referred to him as sir, and he acknowledged sir, when it's really a female that owned the account. A lot of it is common sense. A lot of it is listen to the, listen to the calls. Does it make sense? Listen to the canned responses. You have the same call coming in over and over again. Look at the phone number. Has that phone number called in three, four, five times before on the same account? That does there's something wrong. They keep trying different answers. They don't work to call back again. I've seen that happen countless times. Uh, the, the the really bad ones, the static ones, or the broken screen. These these are these things don't make any sense. If I can call you, I can read my screen to give you the password that you're sending me in my account. Uh, if, if the reception is bad because they're changing their voices. We had one group hit us with a uh, voice app that changes your voice. So they're foreign actors and they sound like, almost like robots talking. And we started picking them up ourselves. Oh, that's a robot. That's a voice app they're using. There's, a count, there's countless ways. <laughs> like I said, it's a book, it's a book high, it's a book thick. Uh, I'm teaching uh, call centers on how to respond to these fraudulent, fraudulent calls. So Sam, is that information that they can find uh, through the association that you represent? Is it is could we direct them to uh, the organization site for additional resources? We have a lot of resources on the website um, where it's a paid membership. We have a lot of resources, and if you have any time, I can give a shameless plug. We have a our conference is coming up in October. Uh, I'm sorry, in August. 
in Chicago, and it involves, it's like 30% law enforcement, 30% financials, 30% folks like you, Rebecca, that have services for the financial industry. And our training topics are wide range. We have a lot of training topics across the financial industry, financial fraud, and uh, it's, it's worth your while. It's in downtown Chicago on the river in the Sheridan. It's, it's really a worthwhile event. Well, perhaps I shall be there and we can have yes. a talk. <laughs> all right. So we'd like to thank all of you for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Talks. We hope to see you all again on Tuesday, July 13th, where we'll be joined by Jerry Christensen of UMail to discuss call spoofing and brand monitoring as Stir Shaken is rolled out. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>